Hello, everybody. I'm Bob Main. Welcome to another episode of today's Survival Show, helping you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. This is a common sense prepper show. I'm just an everyday guy, and I like to keep this rooted in common sense. I do talk about disaster. I talk about, you know, the stink hitting the fan from time to time. I just don't go off the deep end. I don't get into conspiracy theories and things like that. Now, this show is about understanding stink hit the fan communications without having to be an engineer. I've had some ham radio people on the last several weeks. This guy that I'm going to interview shortly is going to talk about that, but he's going to talk about communications in general. You know, electronic communications, radio communications. If the stink hits the fan, you need to know some basics about communications. And I got to tell you, I learned so much from talking to David Mallon. It's amazing. David is the emergency manager for the Port of Los Angeles in California. He's got a lot of really good experience. And and, uh, when we get to the interview, he's going to introduce himself to you so you know what his experience is like. But you don't have to be an engineer. See, he, he breaks it down into simple terms, which I really like. Not that my other two guests weren't simple, because they were. And I really appreciate the other two guests who came on to talk about ham radio. Everybody has a little bit of a different way of presenting it. David Mallon's way is very technical, but simple. That's what I like. Technical, but simple. To where I can understand it. Because let me tell you what, I'm not the most technical guy in the world. I'm a prepper. I'm a firearms trainer. I'm a, I'm a modern day survivalist and stuff like that, but I'm not very technical. If I was, I'd be working as an engineer somewhere. I'm a sales guy. I, I learned enough about products to be able to sell them or to be able to at least understand what it is I'm trying to buy. That's what I do. Unfortunately, I don't really get deep into the technical side, but David promised me that he could make it sound simple. So I got him on Skype. We did an interview. Guess what? He did. He simplified it. So I think you're going to really love this. Here comes just a quick sound effect and David Mellon talking about understanding communications without being an engineer. Stay tuned. Okay, my guest this episode, David Mellon calling from California. David, welcome to the program. Thank you. I appreciate the, the opportunity to speak to you guys. Yeah, look, this has been a, you know, I've, I've been looking forward to this show for a long time. And uh, we're going to talk about communications and so forth. And I'm going to get into that. But I want to introduce you to the listeners first. And then we'll get into our main topic. Um, David served in the military for 31 years, serving both on active duty in the Marine Corps and in the reserves with both the California Air National Guard and the Air Force Reserve. Hey, thanks for your service, David. Oh, no problem. So it looks like you spent 20 years enlisted and most of that time dealing with communications in the last 11 years as a health service administrator, and then you retired as a captain, right? Correct. Correct. Absolutely correct. And you've been working for the city of Los Angeles for 23 years, spending your first 13 years as an electronic technician, and then it looks like you've maintained both dispatch centers for LAPD and LAFD. And also provided the sound work for both the mayor and the city council. Wow, that's cool. Yep, definitely interesting work. You know, all the stuff you saw during the Rodney King era uh, that was provided to the news media, I was basically 
the one that you provided all that. I was the guy to set up the command post during the L.A. riots, or excuse me, the civil disturbance. Civil, <laughs> civil disturbance. Yeah, let's be politically correct. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and what they like calling it, the civil disturbance. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah, that, I did that. And then, you know, once like when, at the towards the end of my comm career, you know, I, I was on that 18-year college program where, our, uh, you know, they say that piece of paper could be worth a lot of money. Well, it actually is. Because, you know, finally going back to school, getting my degree gave me the opportunity to transition from being basically a blue-collar technician to getting more into the managerial field and becoming the emergency manager, which is what I currently do right now for the Port of Los Angeles, working for the Los Angeles Port Police. Yeah, so for 10 10 years you've been the emergency management for Port of Los Angeles. Correct. Cool. Well, well, I'll tell you what, your qualifications speak for themselves, and uh, I appreciate you in advance giving us the time. That's great. Oh, no problem. I enjoy this stuff. Well, we're going to talk about, I love this title. I love what you sent me in the show notes. Terms to understand regarding communications without being an engineer. That, that is so appropriate because you know what? You just described me. I'm the guy that, that needs to have this broken down into simple terms. You know, yeah, I've listened to, to your previous podcast and I'm all, I've been working my way and I'm, I'm all caught up now. It takes a while to catch up to, to certain people's podcasts. <laughs> yeah, but thank you. I was, you know, yeah, no problem. And I was listening to the one you had some guy talking about CBs and the ham radio, and then there was another gen- and both good. But the thing is, is, I understand the terms. I you know I've been a ham radio operator since 1987. Uh, I was first licensed when there was a code requirement, and I was telling you a little bit early before we started the the podcast. When I did it, there was five levels, and those five levels required in the entry level to have five words a minute and a test. Then the next level required just a test. Then mm-hmm. the third level, which was general. That required to get 13 words per minute of Morse code and a test. Then advanced required another test. And then to get extra, I had to pass 20 words a minute of Morse code wow. and a test. Wow. It was, I mean, it was a lot. And I did all that. And I did that in two years because in 1989, October of 1989, I was issued my fi- final call sign of AA6RV. So that's my current call sign today. I see that. Yeah, my first one was N5LFS. So we call that uh, N5 left-footed soldier. I'm left-footed. I'm left-handed, so that kind of that goes good. And then the new one, AA6RV. So when I retire, I got the perfect call sign for my Airstream. Oh yeah, that is that is the perfect and, and one. It's not a vanity call sign. It's just the luck of the draw. It's the way it just. Well, uh, well, that's good. Well, that's that's kind of cool. So uh, you're going to break this down simply for us, which is good because uh, I believe in this. Now, now I wanted to ask you a question first, though, David. Talk talk about your opinion. Why you think th- these types of communications are infor- important for people to know? Well, for, first of all, if you're going to get into the survivalist preparedness mindset. Com- communications is everything. There's you think of a disaster. What's the number one thing you need to do with loved ones? You need to know how to be able to get in touch and contact with someone. That's right. Right. I mean, whether it's digital, whether it's through radio, whether it's through cell phones, through whatever, somehow, some way, you need to get messages. Whether it be about your community to first responders or to get hold of a loved one to pass information along, but but. There's no way to do a proper response or to do a proper battle, for the, let's say, for that reason, without being able to communicate with your partners. Now, whether you do it via ham radio, CB, those, those G- GMRS radios, mm-hmm. whatever, having an understanding of how to use communications is important. Yeah, it is, and I think it's very overlooked by a lot of preppers. 
Oh yeah, I mean, you watch the de-evolution of man when you watch when your remote control doesn't work to your TV set, which is only six foot away. Most people don't even know there's manual buttons on your TV. But that's <laughs> communications. Believe it or not, they communicate. Everything we do nowadays, I mean, everybody, the first thing everyone does when they get to a Starbucks and they have a laptop in their hand is they look for a Wi-Fi. That's <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> communications. You, you first thing you do with some people don't even wear a watch anymore. They have a cell phone. Well, that cell phone's connecting to a radio tower somewhere. Communications. That's all about communications nowadays. And the fir- we're past that info age. We're going, I forgot, there's a new age, there's a new name for the things that we're going past. We went through the, uh, the uh, industrial age years ago. We, you know, for the last, for the 80s and the 90s, were the informational age. And now there's a new thing call- coming out, and I forgot what the name of it was called. But right now, without com, we're dead in the water. You're, yeah. you're useless. You, you're, you need info. So it's important. Yeah, uh, it is. Calm means everything. Well, it's it's everything, like you said, because if you can't communicate with people, uh, you're going to be in a bigger world to hurt, I think, than you th- than you probably realize. Absolutely. So where do people start? I mean, you know, there's always this argument, and you sent me a list of topics, and we're going to get into that, but there's this argument out there, or a debate sort of, you know, CB or ham or both, or what do you think? Yeah, let me give you my personal belief of why ham radio over the others. Okay. And mind you, having the others is important. Those little handheld GMRS radios. Yeah. You know, there you could buy them for twenty bucks for a pack of two. Yeah. They're good for local communications, but they're not going to work any long distance. Yeah. They're going to work line of sight. Line of sight basically means considering the curvature of Earth, if you're on an open plane field, ten miles, which is where you start seeing the. You, the, the distant horizon starts to go down. It's about 10 miles. Well, radio will go a little bit further than that, so say 12. Now, again, open field, no mountains in the way, no buildings in the way. Right. Okay? 10 miles. Now, you show me a place where there's no buildings, no lands, no trees, perfect weather conditions. You don't get that. No place. No place. See, and you're on, you're channelized. And, again, that's one of those terms that I have on my list of things I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Those radios are going to be shared with other folks. That's right. Yeah, some of them are encrypted, but you're still, you're channelized. If, if you were able to buy it, so was someone else. That's a good point. Right? So you're, you're, and you're stuck within the channels that they give you. So that's number one. CBs, well, it's, it's good. When, you start, when we start talking about CB frequencies and the, uh, the wavelength that they work on, you're going to find out that it's a thing called the 10-meter band. Mm-hmm. Again, something I plan on covering. Okay. You're going to find out that depending upon atmospheric conditions, that sometimes that frequencies that the CBs are on are not the best in the world. They could work long distance around the world if they had the proper antenna, which, again, something we're going to go over. So with the ham radio, oh, now the world opens up, especially once you get to the general level. Because when you get to the general level, not only do you have frequencies in the upper range that just do point-to-point communications and also repeater operations, but then you also get into what I call the HF radio, which is the, the type of radios that allow you to communicate around the world with, with just a limited power. Yeah, okay, good. So, so, so if, you want the understand, if you're asking me which is the best way to go, to me it's between two. It's between ham radio and having the, GPR, the GMRS radios. Okay, so you're, you, you, go, you, you advocate going either ham or GMRS. Oh, well, both. I actually, I, I, I would say both because some of them I consider throw-away radios. If they break, pff, throw it away, buy another set. Right. No big deal. It's good. It's good. It's good. Like if you go on a cruise ship, you have the small little cheap radio that will work almost throughout the ship except in, on the interior of the hull. Yeah. 
but they're great. They're they're good to have for something local if you're in a campsite or something like that. They're wonderful. But I'll get, really get into why ham radio. I consider ham radio the best. Okay, well let's get started on that now. I think it's important that the listeners know you you teach this stuff too, don't you? Yes, I, as a matter of fact, I uh, just recently uh, for my employees, I I think I have about fourteen guys that just guys and girls that have just completely successfully taken my course and then completely and successfully passed their FCC license, and they are now uh, technician level ham radio operators. Great, and, and, and their backgrounds are vast. Some of them are sheet metal workers. Some of them are management, and they all passed. One hundred percent successful rate. Right? <laughs> Not hard. It's just it's you have to dedicate yourself and pay attention and do a little bit of studying. Well, they probably got some quality teaching too. So good well, job. Well, and that's this is where you know pay, I say pay attention because understanding these terms, some of these terms are not just for ham radio. They're for everything, everyday general livelihood and if you're going to be a prepper or a survivalist understanding some of these terms are important because it could mean life and death plus you're going to need it in an emergency anyway especially when we hit the first topic here yeah well let's get into that ohm's law ohm's law very simple how many people have ever been hit with a taser uh not me not well actually i tried it and it hurts (laughs) i'm sure it does but here's the funny thing what is all right there's three terms when it comes to Ohm's law. There's voltage, there's current, there's resistance. Okay? Right. And you hear it all the time. You hear volts. Well, what is a volt? Okay, because that is the unit of measurement. A battery, normal double A's are about 1.5 volts. Um, some of them are three volts, not double some A's. Some of them are three volts, some yeah. of them are five volts, some of them are six volts, some are 12 volts. You've got, and, and those are D, direct current, and then you've got the AC outlet, which is normally 120 volts. Well, what is a volt? It is basically an electromagnetic electromagnetic force of potential. It's basically a storage of electrons ready to be pushed through something. It's a potential. So just think of it as something that's hanging there. It it holds and stores energy, and it's waiting to go somewhere. If we tie a piece of wire from one post, you saw the positive to the negative. Some people are of the belief that current goes from the negative to the positive. Some say it goes from the positive to the negative. You know what? It's not important. What's important is, is that you attach a wire between two things, current's going to move. Okay. So that, there's a potential. That potential's there. That's a good, simple explanation of a volt. That's, Thank you. And I'm, again, I'm not going to get into all the electrons and all the different theories. We're just going to keep it simple. It's potential of energy that's stored. Think of it. Leave it at that. If I then have, and we connect the wire... That wire will start having a current going through it. That think of that as water flowing through a garden hose. Okay, because that's what. Even though you don't see it, just realize there's little electrons that's flowing through normally copper wire. That's normally what runs through a house, or the way you connect things is usually with copper. There are other materials. We're not going to get into that. Okay, but that's current. So, and that unit of measurement is measured in amperes. So, electromagnetic forces and volts. Current is in amperes. Amps, two, yep. two terms. Now, to limit that amount of flow, because if we put a straight wire, technically that's infinite. Well, that, that would burn up a battery real fast and nothing would happen. You need resistance, whether that's an electronic circuit, which creates an impedance. But just let's think of we need to limit a restrictor, let's say, of the current flow. Okay. That's called resistance. And that unit of measurement is the ohm. So okay. three terms. Voltage, resistance, which is ohms, 
and current is amperes and electromagnetic force is volts. Those three things. Now, what I want you to do, the way you figure out the, the, um, the values, I want you to picture a circle in your head. Just draw, you know, picture just a round circle. Okay. And then from left to right, draw a straight line through. Okay. That's right. Then from that line, in the center of that line, I want you to draw a straight line down. Okay. Okay. So you basically have a big open half of a circle. In that, you put the, the letter V. That's going to stand for your volts. Or some people say E, but let's just make it easier. V for volts. Okay. Then on the left side, you're going to put an I for current and then an R for resistance. You got that kind of that picture yep. in your head? I'm picturing it right now. V-I-R. Okay. So if I take voltage and if I, I know two of those things, if I know the voltage and I know the current, you could put your thumb over the R. And basically when you look at that little pie chart, this is the way you could do math without actually doing math. You put your thumb over the R because you're going to solve for R. If you had 12 volts running 2 amps, you got 12 divided by 2. 2. Right? That's gonna, and you lift your thumb up, and there's your 6. Because you know, 2 goes into 12 6 times. Okay. Now, let's say I give you current and resistance. That, that bar, that simple bar unbelow the half, that's a multiplication bar. So you're going to take 2 times 6, that gives you 12. So what, what you would do, if, you, if I gave you current and resistance, you're going to put your thumb over the V, you're going to see the 2 and the 6, you're going to multiply those two together, lift up your thumb, and there's your 12. Oh, okay. That's easy. This is the easy way of doing the math without doing math. <laughs> you, you could solve for any one of these little factors just by putting your thumb over the unknown factor and just looking at the little pie chart. If you got to go across the big bar, it's division. If you go across the, the little bar, that little half bar that we created, that's multiplication. So if I give you 12, if I, let's say if I said I give you 12, 10, 10 volts divided by, oh, excuse me, I, I already gave it away. Uh, if I give you 10, in, the volts is 10, mm-hmm. the resistance is 5, what is the current? 2. There you go. You just you just learned one of the a couple of the test questions on a FCC technician ham radio license. Hey, that was easy. <laughs> was, wasn't that simple? That was simple. All right, good. Now, now, why is that important? When I started this, I said about the taser. Okay, right. about forty. But once you hit a potential of energy of forty volts, that's enough to start running current through a body. So if you put your two fingers and you wet them and you put them over a a, a forty volt source. Mm-hmm. You get, you're going to start feeling a shock. Yeah. Are you familiar how much? How, what's the voltage of a uh, your your for the AC outlet in your house? What is that? Now, mem- mind you, we'll talk about AC in a, in a little bit. One ten. You know, one ten, one twenty. Mm-hmm. Normally one twenty. One. I'm sorry. Well, yeah. Okay. okay. H- have you ever been whammied by that? Uh, yes, I have. And hurts, right? Yes, it does. Well, it's kind of like a taser. A ta- and that's enough there on that circuit to kill you. Probably more. There's probably more current that runs through that than it runs through a taser. Again, current. There's the key word. It's okay. not the voltage that kills you. It's, it's the current. It's the current that flows through you that kills you. Yep. So, a taser is normally 50,000 volts. Oof. Right? That, I mean, that's why you see when people get hit with that thing, they just, their whole body just locks up. You lose complete, you know, completely contracts all the muscles. There's got to be a resistance in there, super high, that limits the amount of current... So you don't get killed. Uh-huh. So 
therefore understanding this term is important. The reason why, one of the reasons why you take and start learning about Ohm's law and current and potential, as a ham radio operator, you do a lot of experimenting. Not understanding some of these simple terms and some of these ra- what, what some of these radios will do. Because normally it's not you just buy the radio and you just sit there and you buy all the cables. A lot of times you make your stuff. Mm-hmm. So understanding, how, you know, if you're going to buy a radio and it's going to put out 100 watts, and watts is the next thing we're going to get into in a second, you need to know how much current that's approximately going to draw. So you buy a power supply that's big enough. You've got to understand some of these terms. So instead of me just sitting there and, well, oh, let's get about in, in, into this and get in this, I'd rather work through the terms. Then we have a, a, at least a foundation before you start talking about ham radio. Yeah, and this is good. So you brought up watts. That's the next one on your list. Talk, what's a watt? What? And you hear it all the time. You hear about it. your toaster oven draws fifteen hundred watts. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, uh, this this transmitter has a hundred watts out. So now, if you take voltage and current and you multiply those two, voltage times current equals power. Again, doing that circle thing that I had before. Mm-hmm. Okay. So draw the circle. Take a line, draw it across, straight across from left to right. Okay. And then, then from the middle of that line, draw one straight down. Mm-hmm. You're going to take P for power, put that in the top, and then you're going to put V on the left and I on the right. Remember voltage, voltage well, electromagnetic force is measured in volts, mm-hmm. current is measured in, in amperes, and power is measured in watts. Okay. So now when you take the voltage and you multiply that by the current, that's going to tell you how much power you're drawing. Okay. And that's important. So when we start talking about how many watts something is using, it's important. Why? Now we start talking about generators. Okay. Right? How yep. many preppers need a generator? It, it, almost everybody does. <laughs> almost everybody. So we talk about a 3KW, and that stands for 3 kilowatt generator. Mm-hmm. You quickly realize that your refrigerator draws 1,500 watts. Well, 1,500 watts out of one appliance, and then you throw on, let's say, a microwave, there's another 1,500 watts. Guess what? You're already out of power. Yeah. You, you've, <laughs> you don't have much. You have nothing left. You've got nothing left. And it's important that you understand power, power usage, watts. So now you want to put, run a ham radio. Well, you, now you realize, oh, wait a second. If I only got a 3KW generator and I've got the refrigerator connected and I'm trying to run or my, my coffee maker, which is another thing that just draws extreme amounts of power, you realize, and I want to run my emergency radio off of that, you can't. You got to shut something down. It's amazing how many people don't realize how much power your coffee maker sucks up. Oh, you better believe it. A lot. And, and this is important that you understand. Again, you understand some of these terms. So again, if you if I give you power and voltage, you can figure out the current. If I give you the voltage times the current, you can figure out the power. So now you have a frame of reference of understanding what a watt is. The same with the stereo. A watt is a watt is a watt. If we talk about a hundred watt speakers, well, it's the same thing as if I talk about fifteen hundred watt. Watt is a watt. That's it. It's the mm-hmm. amount of power used. And I'm, again, I'm not getting into the, the, the theory. I'm just giving you the simple, the simple electronic terms without being an engineer. No, that's good. You're, and, that's, and that's all you actually need to get throughout life. You're, you're breaking this down nice and simple. Deciding this stuff. Yeah. Right? Yep. And I gave you, you have the two links. You have the link for Ohm's Law that goes to the Wikipedia article that if you want the technical geeky part, it's there. And same with what? But the way I just broke this down, I just gave you another test question for your ham preparedness 
technician class. <laughs> hey, uh, we're, we're all getting an education here on the podcast. And, and folks, by the way, everything David's talking about, all these links, I'll put them in the show notes. So, so you got you got you got the big four, and yeah. those are the big four that you need to know at least for the technician level. Yeah, there are there are other terms. There are other, you know we can start talking about inductance, capacitance. I mean, there's a lot of other things when you talk about electronic circuits. But the big four that I want you to learn is is those four: Ohm's law and 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 watts. Because okay. everything you do, even out if you don't become a communications, and you're just dealing with generators, understanding what a watt is. Now you have at least a, a better understanding of it, it, it's the amount of power that is used. I mean, I, I do have a better understanding of it. I mean, you know, you hear that term, you know, everything is so many watts this and watts that, and I never really, until you walked me through it just now, I never really figured that out or knew what it was. Yeah, so now when you start talking about it's coming 120 volts out of the, you know, out of the AC receptacle and it's drawing 20 amps, you know, you'd say like, wow, that's a lot of wattage because you take 120 times 20. Oh wait, 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 wait! Did I do that right? No, I did not do that right. No, you didn't. Yeah, see, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's current times resistance. Right. So actually, there is a way to do it. You could do substitutions. Now we're starting to get into algebra, but I don't want to do it that way. Okay. For, for now, there is a way where you can, you know, you can if you know current and resistance, and I, I have to, I have to actually write it out myself. I think it's like I squared times R. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to tell you how I got there because that's getting too deep into the math. Yeah, we won't go down that road. Right. We, we don't want to go down that path. So I'm, I'm trying to make keep this stuff as simple as possible. But there, there is a way to solve four watts without actually knowing two of those others. Just, just realize that. But okay. the simple formula is current times voltage. Yep. Yeah, that's it. The next one I want to talk about, I want to talk about frequency versus wavelength. Because that's something that was being thrown out by the other two gentlemen and they were bouncing between the two. Okay. Okay, so fr- what is frequency? You hear it all the time. You constantly, I mean, you look at your radio dial and you see 95.5 KLOS, right? Yeah. And you're like, so what is that? Well, all right, so are you familiar with what a sinusoidal wave is? No. No, okay. I want you to think of a roller coaster because I was trying to think, how am I going to explain this to people who I don't have a chalkboard in front of? So you get in a roller coaster, you get in a car. And the roller coaster is going straight. And all of a sudden it goes up. And it goes up. And it hits that peak. Mm-hmm. Then it goes back down. Right? Mm-hmm. And it goes past where the, the point of where it really starts. And it goes, dips below. And then it comes back up to zero. Right? right. It goes up. It goes down. It goes up. It goes down. It goes up. It goes down. Right. right. And then by that time I'm puking. But go ahead. Right. So, so you've got <laughs> peaks and valleys. You got that? Yep. i got the peaks and valleys. you got the peaks and valleys. Okay. One cycle of where you start from zero, you go up, you go back to zero, you go down, you go back up to zero. That's one frequency. Okay. So when we start talking about an electromagnetic wave is basically what we're talking about. That's the frequency. That's th- that, that is one frequency. Now, when we start talking about 95.5 KLOS, that is normally in reference to 95.5 million times per second of one frequency goes up and down. Okay, I wonder what that was. So 95.5 million times per second. That is that is the frequency. Okay. So if they say 95.5 megahertz, that means that that radio wave, 95.5 million times per second went up and down. So I got a station here I like to listen to 101.1. So 101.1 times per second. 101.1 101. Go- 101. 
million times per second. Excuse me, 101.1 million. Okay, times yep. per second is uh, that's the that's how fast that's traveling. Correct. That's the frequency. That's the frequency. Okay. Now, the distance. When then you hear the other thing, uh, where you start talking about wavelength, and they are directly related. Radio electronic um, radio waves move at about the speed of light. Let's just say, for all intents and purposes, they go right at the speed of light. Okay. That's about 300 meters per second. 300 million meters. 300, 300 million meters per second. 300 million meters per second. Right. There's a reason why it takes 20 minutes to get a radio signal from Mars back to, the, back to Earth. Because Mars isn't right next door. Right. Mars is a long ways away. That, that tells you how far away it is right there. That tells you how, exactly. So when we send a command, you know, and the guy says, hit send... You're not you're not across the United States, which you know that far, you know it's three three thousand miles away, four thousand miles away, but it's relatively close compared to Mars. Exactly, it takes like fifteen to twenty minutes for your radio signal to get from here to Mars. So if you have a problem of speaking in delay, <laughs> you're gonna run into that problem. So you've got you've got this other thing called wavelength, and the wavelength is the amount of distance uh, a wavelength travels in one second. Okay. No, wait, 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 wait. No, the amount of distance one wavelength travels, period. Yeah, that's what I thought. The distance of one exact wavelength. One, the distance of one exact wavelength. And they're all different, depending upon the frequency you're talking at. The, the lower the frequency is, the it's inversely proportional, so realize this. The lo, the, so in ham radio, is a thing called the 160-meter band. Those frequencies are like in the three... Oh, I probably I probably even got that wrong. I need my little chart. Where's my reference chart? I know I'm going to blow it. I blow it every single time. Let me get... Excuse me. Oh, great. Come on. Give me my band plan. Here we go. It's coming up. No, it's not. My link didn't work. It's all right. It's terrible for a podcast to have a delay. That's okay. It's going to give people time to think about all the stuff you just said. Yeah, just realize that frequency and wavelength are. Uh, here we go. I got one, finally, and it's opening. Yeah. While David's searching for this, everybody just kind of digests the Ohm's law and the watts that we've just talked about. Right. It's important. To have- I have it in front of me here in writing, so it's a little easier for me to digest it. But uh, once you guys go to the links on my on, on the uh, the show notes, you'll be able to see all this stuff in writing if you want. Yeah, it's, and, and it's important to see that. Okay, so the 160-meter band is around 1.8 megahertz. Now, there is a simple way to figure it out. The easiest way to do that is if you take 300, divide the frequency in megahertz, mm-hmm. that will give you the wavelength. So, so, again, take the number 300 and the frequency in megahertz. It's important mm-hmm. because if you're not in megahertz... You, you know, if, if I, they give it to you in some other form, you've got to convert things into megahertz. So you have to understand how to move the decimal point. So 1.8 megahertz, 300 divided by 1.8, because that, that is in megahertz, it's going to give you around 160. Okay. Okay, so now let's go to the opposite, the other extreme. A radio that's used constantly by every ham radio operator, especially when they first pass their technician license. The two-meter band. Mm-hmm. That frequency normally is 144 to 148. If you take 300 divided by 144, and again, that, that one's pretty simple. If you think about, okay, 144 is close to 150. So 300 divided by 150. It's two. It's two. 
Well, guess what? It's the two-meter band. Two-meter band, okay. Now, what happened? 144 megahertz is much higher a number than 1.8 megahertz. Right. But when you talk about wavelength, the numbers are flipped. But if you think about it, the 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 the, the size of the of one cycle is much smaller. The higher the higher the frequency you go, the smaller the wavelength. And it makes sense mm-hmm. because if you have to go much faster at 144 megahertz to do, you know, you've got to get a bunch of cycles in, you know, in in one second than you do when the frequency is lower. So if the frequency is down around 25 or 26 megahertz, it's going to have a longer wavelength. Correct. And if it's up there around 900 to 1,000 or even 2,600 or way up there, it's going to have a shorter wavelength. Correct. Okay. You got it. Yeah. That's it. That's it. And it's important to understand that. Why? Because now I'm going to make you, now I'm going to make you really paranoid. Okay. What is it you like to put when you when you're driving your car and you need to make a phone call? What do you like to put next to your head? A uh, well, I don't use a Bluetooth. I use a hardwired, but a lot of people use Bluetooth. Yeah, well, and you, at that frequency you're at, it's microwave, close to microwave. Really? Okay. Yeah. So, have you ever taken uh, high microwave stuff and put a hot dog in front of it? Yeah. It cooks it. You see, I don't use those wireless headsets anymore. Um, I just use, I use the earbuds that came with the iPhone, plug that in. It's got the little microphone. Matter of fact, that's what I'm using to talk to you on right now. There you go. You're, you're one of the few. Actually, uh, everybody I, does it. They put those Bluetooth stuff right next to their head. I don't know. And I know they say it's safe depending upon who you ask. Look, I'm a ham radio operator. I learned a long time ago, don't put that stuff next to your head. <laughs> okay. So, so now that you understand some stuff, when you start getting into certain frequencies and certain times of operation, some stuff passes, goes up in the atmosphere and reflects. It comes back down. Some stuff is penetrating. The higher the frequency is, the more it's penetrating. Okay. So if you start talking about some of these 900 megahertz phones, and now they got the 5 gigahertz phones, that's, that's, that's 5 gigahertz is close to microwave, and that is penetrating. And you're putting that next to your head. Yeah. Sorry, sorry folks, but I can't. I, I don't do it. Well, mine's well, mine's a nine hundred. What does mine say here? Mine is uh, oh no, mine's a two point four gigahertz. Two point four gig. Yeah, yep. two point four gig right next to your head. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So, what's an, an iPhone? How many megahertz is that? Well, it depends upon what carrier you're using and the frequency, but they're up there too. They are. Yeah, they're. they're I, I believe they're they're up in the nines. Some okay. like cell phones are up in that very high, uh, that high frequency range. Okay. Because you you got to realize that a a a, a radio, a cell phone, is a radio. Yeah, it is. It, 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 it's all operating off of uh, you know different modes. There's GSM and then CDMA, and now I guess the latest one is um, LTE. There's, it's just a different way of transmitting the carrier and the way they, they, they connect. But it, it, you're basically a radio. Okay. Yeah. Well, good. Thanks for explaining frequency and wavelength. Now, next, I love this. You gave it to me. It's three times. You have this word repeated three times. It must be important. Antennas, antennas, antennas. Right. And I'm going to give it to you in the simplest way I'm going to explain it. The simplest thing is, is it more important to have a good radio and a bad antenna or a bad antenna or a good radio with a good radio? It's more important to have a good antenna with an average radio. Exactly. Antenna means everything. And I want you to think about the times. Remember, before we had satellite TV, remember the rabbit ears? 
Yep. And you remember how you would sit there and you would hold the rabbit ears in a certain way. And all of a sudden, the picture came in clear. And then you just moved it just slightly and it didn't work anymore. That's right. You're tuning the antenna. Right. You're, you're getting it so that it's perfectly aligning, capturing electromagnetic waves that are in the air and focusing that into the TV so it could be received and demodulated so that the TV would work. Do you remember when, instead of rabbit ears, those of us that bought the, um, the antenna for the roof of our house, so we'd get a better signal, but then you had to position the roof antenna a certain way to pick up the signal, and then you had to bolt it down so it stayed in that position all the time. Yep, that's the uh, multi-element beam, and it's yeah. known as Yagi antenna. <laughs> the other guy pronounced it differently. I've always pronounced it Yagi. Okay. The reason why you're using an antenna like that is because it's very directive. Right. All right. A, a wire when you're driving your car and you look off to the right or to the left and you've got the wire sticking up, that's basically a vertical antenna for the FM band. Yeah. It's normally cut to a certain length. There's, there's formulas for making all these types of antennas. But the one that you saw on the roof of your, uh, of your house and it has these multi-element beams, it takes all that radio energy – and the directivity, instead of it going in omnidirectional, all different directions, the way it's pointing is the way it's designed to capture. Yeah, now, David, for preppers that are going to be using ham radios, especially portable ones, uh, most likely, I bet you're going to recommend a good omnidirectional antenna, right? For, 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 local, distance, for local communications, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it would make sense to have something, you know, especially with a walkie-talkie. Believe it or not, I've known people to put multi- these directive yaggies on their vehicles and point them mm-hmm. as they're driving i don't recommend doing that it's another thing you gotta do with, like, you know you thought texting and driving was bad but there's people yeah. that do hf communications when they're driving and do morse code yeah, they need to be worried about driving <laughs> exactly but for, for if you're dealing with the higher the higher um bands for instance the two meters where or the uh 440 band which is the 1.25 centimeters Oh, no, no, excuse me, 70 centimeters. That I recommend, just a regular vertical antenna. But if you're doing directional finding, there's actually some of these people, they put out these little transmitters that just put out a tone, Mm -hmm. and they do what they call T-hunting, where you'll sit there and you actually use a a Yagi attached to your radio, a handheld Yagi, and it gives you directivity. So as you start turning and moving your body with the Yagi, all of a sudden the signal gets stronger, and as you move away, it gets weaker. Okay. Well, this way you're able to tell where the tra- which direction the transmitter is coming from. So that's when you'd use a directional antenna. For the most part, right. But I mean, for local communication, you're talking omnidirectional. Right, you're talking omnidirectional. Okay. Now, now why don't you explain, uh, put that in simple terms for people who don't understand what we're talking about. Okay. If you think of a wire sticking straight up, the radio energy that is transmitted and received is equal coming from every distance. All the way, 360 degrees around the antenna. That's an omnidirectional. That's omnidirectional. When I say directive, if I say I'm pointing 360 degrees north, most of the energy, some of these, some of these antennas are designed so that maybe for 30 degrees from the direction the antenna is pointing, mm-hmm. that's, all, that's all the energy is focused to that direction. And everything off and away from the side behind the back of it, it's dropped out. Okay, so for someone new like me, if I get into ham, what kind of an antenna should I look for at first? First, if you're buying a handheld, because normally one of the first things we recommend for you to do is to buy a handheld. Exactly. It's the hobby, you're going to buy an omnidirectional antenna. You're going to normally get the one that comes on the top of the radio. But that one that they normally provide with the radio 
is not the best one. They make better ones. Exactly. I take that one, I throw that away, and I buy one that gives you more gain. Hence, we're going into the thing called effective radiated power. That's the next topic I have set up. Uh huh. Okay, so we talked about power, right? We talked about, you know, I, I gave you the, uh, the formula for talking about watts, correct? Yeah, and you gave the formula for talking about watts, yes. Right. Okay, gain, and gain works both ways, even though, you know, you think, well, how's gain work? Normally, every 3 dB, you've got gain. You double the amount of power. So if I say 3 dB, if I gave you, if I said the word 2 watts, and I tell you at every 3 dB, this antenna has 3 dB of gain from um, the, um, oh, God, I just went brain dead. What happened? Um, <laughs> not good. Okay, you were talking about gain. Oh, unity. Oh, okay, so, so if we're talking about a unity gain antenna, there's no, nothing up, nothing down. It's just what you put into it, you get out. Okay. If, this, if I said this antenna's unity gain is zero, if you put two watts into it, you get two watts out of it. Okay. If I give you another, if I say this antenna here has 3 dB of gain, and you same two watts, and I told you every time you hit 3 dB, you double the amount of power out. Mm-hmm. That's basically the antenna will, it's not real power, it's effective radiated power. That's what effective radiated power is, okay. Right, so if I said 2 watt, 2, you got 2 watts going into it, 3 dB of gain, how much power? Two watts into it, three dB gain. Double, double the power. Okay, so it's four. Four. Okay. So, and it works the opposite way. Because I got three dB, three dB gain. That's why I'm I'm doubling the power. Okay. Right. So this, if I tell you this antenna has three dB gain, and I've got this one, although it has unity gain, which is no difference, three dB of gain is going to give you effectively. An extra, it's going to double the effective radiated power out. So all of a sudden, your two watts became four. Now, if I tell you some of these yagging antennas, and these do exist, had 56 dB of gain. 56. Wow. And I said every 3 dB doubles the power. Oh, uh, you're talking almost 20 times the power. Oh, that's Nin- 19 times the power. Well, I, I mean, you got to go. Two to four, that's three dB. Then another three dB is four to four, that's eight. Then eight to eight is 16. You quickly see how all of a sudden your two watts became 15,000 watts. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I forgot it's exponential. It's exponential. It's exponential, yeah. yeah. It doubles every single time. It doubles doubles. every time, that's right, yeah. So, okay, so when you're getting an antenna, you want to look for a certain effective radiated power, right? You want to look at the amount of gain an antenna has. Amount of gain. Obviously, okay. the more gain you could get, the better the antenna. And normally, the way you get those really high effective radiated powers is when you start going to antennas that have elements in it and directors in it and focuses the energy in one direction. Of course, that normally re- requires you to rotate the antenna so that you could point it in the direction you need to go. But that's, to, that's why I said it's more important to have a better antenna and a cheaper radio than the best radio and a poor antenna. So if you're on a budget, spend the money, spend the extra money you have on a better antenna, not on a better radio. I would say so. Okay. Absolutely. It's, okay. You know, again, when you start talking about some of the more expensive, I mean, because, you know, you, the hearts, to your heart's delight, you could spend money on this hobby. Not, not as much as you would on guns, but, I mean, you could spend a lot of money on this. <laughs> I'm sure. And, it, and it's not just that. I mean, there's multiple parts to transmitting. You also got the, the connectors and the coax cable. And that's all again. Other stuff. All that. All that is just as important as the antenna itself, because you got to f- somehow get it from the radio to the antenna, and 
coax cables have different characteristics depending upon the frequency and the amount of loss. Okay. So you've got to make up for, you know, you want all the stuff to be the most efficient. As, you know, you're putting, spending all that money on the radio and it's putting out that power. You'd like to get every nickel and quarter and penny out of that radio's power to out that antenna as you possibly can. Yeah, yeah, okay. And it work, again, it works the opposite way too. If you have an antenna that performs poorly on transmit, it also performs poorly on receive. So if it has a 3 dB loss to begin with, you also on your receive have a 3 dB of loss, which is, you know, if the, if the thing coming in was in 50 microvolts or whatever, you're going to have half, basically half of that. Okay. So it's, ju- it's just as important in and out. Good. All right. So then you've got another subject here called channel versus frequency. Now, I've wait, always wait, wait. wondered about this. You skipped one. Standing wave. Oh, standing wave. Yeah, I skipped standing wave. Yeah. Okay. The, all this is is basically it allows you – remember I told you antennas are tuned? Yes. And there's a lot of different characteristics to how you properly tune an antenna. We're not getting into that now. Mm-hmm. But there's a thing called standing wave ratio, SWR. Ideally, mm-hmm. for all the amount of power you put out, you want to go out through the antenna. And there's different impedance, impedance, which is basically a complicated resistance formula between the antenna and the output of the receiver. Ideally, you want 1.1, 1 to 1. And there's, there's test equipment that will actually show you, and this is when you're talking about tu- tuning the radio to the antenna. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a, a device called SWR meter that shows you how efficient your antenna is to the frequency you're working on. Because remember the wavelength? Yes. We talked about. Well, the characteristics of an antenna get tuned basically on the frequency and according to the wavelength, it changes the formulas. And so ideally what you want is one-to-one. Okay. Normally you'll transmit anywhere from one-to-one to one-to-one to to one-to-five. As soon as you hit that two-to-one, you're done. You can't transmit because it'll actually, it can harm your radio. So understanding standing wave ratio is basically a way of measuring the tuning between your transmitter and the antenna. So that's another important thing to understand. Antenna is antenna, antenna, antenna. Very important. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's like it's like you know uh, location, location, location. Antenna, antenna, antenna is important in communications. Now you know why those ham radio operators take it to heart when you sit there and you tell them they can't put up that yagi in their back house because of their homeowners association. Yeah, because they understand a, a beam antenna works much better than a wire that looks like a fire flute, you know, sticking out of their house. They want the best. They want the best effective radiated power possible, and the only way they're going to get that is by using a directional antenna that's normally a Yagi. Yeah, it's a good reason to live in a place where there's not a real restrictive homeowners association. Exactly. No, no HOAs. Yeah. Right. Okay. okay. So, yeah. So, now we got channel versus frequency. Yeah. Yeah, because you, you sit there and you go, well, just turn to channel 16 on, on the uh, ham radio. I mean, on the CB radio. Well, you've got to understand... First of all, as a ham radio operator, you, when you buy some of these radios, they have 1,000-something memories. Those 1,000-something memories are a way for you to program and channelize all this stuff. you got to realize when, you're, when you buy a CB radio, everything's done. All you're doing is you got your tw- – well, I don't even know how many channels there are on a CB. I think I gave you a listing of uh, where all the – The most common radios are about 40 channels. 40 channels. Okay. Yeah. So that channel – when you sit there and you turn it, say you go to channel 19, and I yeah. know I put it in here. Um, where were the CB frequencies? Here we go. Matter of fact, let's see if it pops up for me. Dun, 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 dun. I see it right there. Yep, there they are. 
40. So when you go to channel one of a CB, it is automatically programmed for 26.965 megahertz. And it's already programmed for the AM mode. I didn't know that. You didn't even know that. Most people don't even know what frequency they're on because they just say, well, I'm on channel one. Well, your channel one, you know, the antenna you bought for your CB radio, you should know because didn't I tell you that depending upon the frequency you operate, you need to tune your antenna for your frequency? Yeah, you did. Yeah, I did. And you need to make sure that your, your VSWR, or your uh, VSWR, your standing wave ratio, is tuned for the frequencies you're operating at. So some people just buy an antenna and believe what they told you, and they said, yeah, we'll just use this. But you've got to understand, to get, make it most efficient, you need to tune it for the frequency you're going to operate on the most. Sometimes, you know, they, they, they normally, when they sell you a CB, a CB antenna, they're going to normally pick the center frequency, and they're going to tune it for that. Yeah. And as soon as you start getting away from that center frequency, that antenna starts going off. You'll normally see a lope. It's most efficient in the center, and then as you move away, it starts becoming inefficient. Okay. That's just the way, because, you know, you, you normally only buy one antenna. Right. So when you start talking about channel versus frequency, you got to realize that a channel has stuff programmed in it already. For instance, it's telling you that the mode for CB has AM. That the frequency is twenty six point nine six five. That you know what um, the the name tag that shows up is already done. There are um, continuous tone code squelch system, digital tone. I, I, we're getting into a bunch of different things. Offset frequency, the uh, transmit power, tone alert, all that stuff is put into a channel mm-hmm. or a memory. If you think a channel memory is the same, I would go along with that because you're doing and you're making modifications in the memories and making it so that when you select that memory or that channel, all that stuff is done all, as soon as you, as soon as you switch the switch, mm-hmm. that's the difference between channel and frequency. Frequency is, you know, it measured in megahertz. And, you know, we went through the whole explanation of what right, we just went through all that. Yeah. Right. That's, that's all frequency is channel is a radio that's already been pre-programmed with a bunch of different, modes of communications and things that have to happen in order to make it work on the frequency, or I should say on the selector that you're selecting to. Okay. That's the simple explanation of it. Big difference between channel and frequency. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Because, right. And that's, the, that, that's probably the easiest way to explain it. Just realize that when you say a channel, well, you've already put a bunch of information into that memory location. And when you select to that, it's all done for you automatically. Okay. Okay. Now let's get into the next one. Why? Here, here's why I specifically love ham radio for the most part over CB and, and off that family radio. The, the term that was important that was skipped by the other two gentlemen, I never heard it once, was su- su- simplex versus duplex. Okay, I think one of them did get into it, but we didn't get into it very, very heavily. Yeah, he didn't, but the, 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 the key term, that I didn't hear it. I didn't hear offset being spoken about. Right. I didn't hear about the transmit, uh, the the two frequencies going off. And if it, if they did, I I, I must have missed it. Okay. okay. So so when we start talking about frequency, and both you and I, let's say for instance, we pick a frequency of one forty six megahertz. That's okay. the two meter band in the ham radio. If we start talking, both our transmit and our, we receive on the same frequency. In other words, when I press my transmit button on my radio. Your fingers cannot be on the transmit button because you need to be in a listening mode. I talk, you listen. I say at the very end of the communications over, 
you hit the transmit. I, my, you know, when I say over, I release the transmit. We are both talking on the same frequency. Mm-hmm. That is simplex. Duplex is I transmit on one frequency and I receive on a different frequency. Okay. And you're like, well, why, why would I do that, right? Yeah, why? Yeah, the reason why is because, um, remember how far did we say regular um, communications will happen with in the VHF, UHF frequencies? I have... I, I think you said like uh, five to ten miles or something like yeah. that. If you're in open space, yeah. The reason the reason why ham radio operators we have a thing called repeaters that are out there, and what repeaters do is the higher you put something up, it extends the range. Mm-hmm. You know, if you put something on a four thousand foot peak, all of a sudden your your ten mile range becomes fifty miles out, and by a repeater that is on top of a mountaintop. And they're commercial grade. They're designed to work for long periods of time. They listen on one frequency and they transmit on another. Okay. And on two meters, there's a thing called offset. And normally the offset on two meters is 600 kilohertz. So what happens is when I transmit, let's say, and say we're on 146, I'm going to get say the offset is 0.6. And for all, I'm just going to say, and it's op 600 kilohertz. When I hit transmit, I'm going to transmit on 146. 0.6 megahertz. Okay. Okay. And I'm transmitting to the mountaintop. The mountaintop's receiver is on 146.6. Its transmitter is on the 146 because you've, you're listening to 146 megahertz. So you've got your uplink is 600 kilohertz higher and your receive is at, at, at its location. So you've got two frequencies. You've got your uplink and your downlink. Downlink is your receive. Uplink is your transmit. That's your transmit. Yeah, okay. Okay, so up, uplink is, again, it depends upon where you are in the band, where, whether it's a plus or a minus. Sometimes it'll be 600 kilohertz lower. So is this what separates CB from ham? Oh, yeah. Because CB, ham, CB C- is duplex, right? CB is simplex. Is simplex. Oh, okay. CB is simplex. CB relies on the atmosphere conditions as it currently exists, and... That's all you get. On in this case, in this case, you operate between 144 and 148, mm-hmm. and a lot of these radios have capabilities to do things um, where, in an emergency, if you have somebody who has a a radio that has the capability of acting as a repeater, you can have your buddy go up to a mountaintop and turn his radio on, and he could be the repeater. Okay, and make that extended range if need be. You could also have radio. There's radios out there that will do what's known as cross band repeating, where you will transmit in the two meter band, and mm-hmm. then the radio will transmit in the let's say the 440 range. So it'll actually go into a bunch of different other frequencies. This is why ham radio. There's so much more intricacies dealing with ham radio operators than there are with just CBs. I see. Okay. So, and again, this is, this, is, this is the stuff as soon as you get your first license, the technician level license of where you get to, you get to experiment and play with this stuff. Okay. So, do did did you understand the difference between simplex and duplex? I do now. I never did before, but I do now listening to you talk about it, yes. Yeah, you've, got, you've got just, you know, realize just the two different Yeah, frequencies. so you basically got, you just got more power and, and much cleaner communication with duplex. Yeah, well, and it basically allows you to extend range. Extend range, yeah. Yeah, extend okay. range. 
So that's what but I would think since it did since it doesn't rely so much on atmospheric conditions, I would think it would also be much more clear and much more powerful, wouldn't it? I don't want to say that it doesn't because you know what all radios all radio frequencies do. There is some aspects of uh, atmosphere that play into all of this. It's important, mm-hmm. you know. You'll, you'll notice that things will act differently during certain cycles of the solar. Yeah, but hams don't aren't as, as affected by um, atmosphere as are CBs. Oh, absolutely not. That's not true. No? No, because now we're going to get into radio wave propagation. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Let, let's, all right, so the, the next thing we're going to talk about is radio wave propagation. Okay, so for your entry level, you're normally given just a slight sliver of the HF bands, and, and there's, I gave you links for the ham bands. Yep. True ham radio operators, the, well, I shouldn't say true, but... The, the ones that you think of, the nerdy guys that sit there and they drive the motor scooter and they uh, they got the big, 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 big antennas. You know which ones yeah, I'm talking about, I right? do know which that ones you're talking about. Right? Yes. <laughs> the, the fun and the play of ham radio is in the HF bands. It's not on the VHF, UHF stuff. Okay. The VHF, UHF stuff is normally line of sight. That's where you got the one that's in your car for the most part with the small antenna. It's not the big, gigantic antenna you see on some of these guys' cars. Right. That's HF, UHF. The, the low band stuff. The 160-meter band to the 10-meter band is HF. That is the type of radio, and I've got one right in front of me, that with 5 watts, you could communicate around the world. Which one again? Say that again. Between 160 meters and 10 meters. Okay. Even even 6 meters, down to 6 meters. You will be able to communicate around the world. Really? 5 watts. Really? Yep. Okay. So now, say, for instance, you've got your little prepper community and you need to get a hold of someone in Northern California and all the rate repeaters in the area are down. You need HF radio. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's important to understand radio wave propagation. Now, without getting too geeky, okay, just realize that the whole the upper atmosphere has a thing called the ionosphere. And there's different layers of the ionosphere. Again, I'm not going to make it too geeky. Depending upon the solar cycle, which is normally on an 11-year cycle, and right now we're in that upswing, there's a thing known as the maximum usable frequency. Mm-hmm. will play havoc, either positive or negative, on the way radio waves will transmit. Right, your, your CB radio is really close to the 10-meter band. Well, I'll tell you what, the 10-meter band is only good when the solar cycle is up spiking like it is now, and it's only good for a couple of hours. During okay. the day. So that's important to understand that it's like, wait a second, if the 10 meter band is in the 28, well, 10 meters is, uh, no, 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 where am I at? 28 to 29.7. That's normally the 10 meter band. I got, when I say 28, 28 megahertz to 29.7 megahertz, which is really, really, really close to the uh, CB band. It's only good during certain times of the year. And, you know, having that understanding of, of what works best, that's kind of important because not understanding what frequencies work at the best, you know, best time periods, that actually will mess you up. But you, one of the ways I always find out is you just tune the radio up with the proper antenna, of course, and you listen to see what's coming, what's coming through. So to limit yourself to CBs that are all basically right next to one another, mm-hmm. you're, you're locked into those channels, yeah. 1 through 40, in the 10-meter band. If conditions are bad, go men aside. You're out of luck. Yeah. You're, you're stuck. 
when you're a ham radio operator and you've got a, at least a general class and above, because a general and above allows you to start playing 160, 80, 40, 30, 20, 17, 15, 12. You got a lot more flexibility with the ham. You've got max, maximum flexibility, and if you buy almost any of the new radios that are out there, you know, and they've gotten a lot of cheaper and a lot more uh, smaller over the years, especially with microprocessors, you could play in whatever's open you could use. Okay. Just, just tuning the proper antenna. And believe me, there are tons of antennas that you can make for free with wire. Cheap. Yeah, that's what I understand. Cheap. Exactly. So radio wave, radio wave propagation is important. What, what makes the ionosphere so important with ham radio operators, with the VHF, UHF we were talking about, between like the 144 to the, to the, you know, off to the gigahertz range, mm-hmm. it's penetrating. It goes straight. It will not reflect back down. Certain conditions, that might be different. I'm not getting into that. HF goes to the atmosphere Hits, hits, hits that ionosphere and reflects and bounces around up there and makes it down some, some other portion of the world. Now I understand it. Okay. Yeah, I, I it, wondered how that worked. It's all about the ionosphere, the time of day, the, the weather, the solar cycle, the temperature, and it, it changes. I forgot how many miles. It's almost like 300 miles out. That, and, and, and it contracts. It's, it's like five levels during the daytime. It contracts to four levels at night. They've got all these different scientific things, and I read papers on them going, boy, somebody's really a big geek out there, but you know what? You need those geeks to really – and I'm sitting there reading it. I'm going, how am I going to explain this and just make it easier? And I go, well, it's not really that important because do you really care what level it bounced off of? You just want to know, did I make – my first contact using an antenna in an attic once before, Yeah, I didn't even know where I was talking to, but I have my first what we call QSL card. My uh-huh. first radio contact I ever made on, ham, on, on the HF bands – was Estonia. And I was like, where the hell's Estonia? <laughs> I'm, looking on, I'm looking in the United States. I go, was there Estonia, United States? And I'm realizing, listening to his call sign, that this guy is in Europe. Yeah. That was my first ham radio contact. And then after that, I was hooked. Wow. Yeah. And I was doing that with an antenna in my attic. Wow. Yeah. So it just, and I wasn't using, I was using like five watts of power. So now, you know, some of those CBs put out 50 watts of power, and you can't even make it around the block. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like now, all of a sudden, with the proper and tuned antenna, with a, with a decent radio, you could talk around the world. And then here's the best thing, because this is something that should be talked about. I think it's the third week of June every year. We have a thing called Field Day. And what Field Day is, and it's open to everybody, we, we actually, there's ham radio organizations and clubs. It's the yearly ham radio disaster preparedness. Oh, cool. Uh, Field event. It's not designed. You, you don't operate. You, you can't operate out of your house using commercial power. It's designed so that you go out to the field. You hook up generators. You basically become a survivalist for one weekend out of the year. And you, every club tries to make as many contacts as possible using emergency power, solar systems, wind turbines, whatever, with portable taking their radios, making them portable, using portable antennas. You'd Neat. be surprised what people have out there. There are people that have these portable crank up towers with the Yaggies. My club has one of those. Really? <laughs> they actually they hook it up to the truck and they tow it and out. And that's the third week of June, right? Oh, it's, it's in June. It's the third week. It's called Field Day. And they have it every year. Everyone is invited to go out there. The one thing we get points for is if we could get a non-ham radio operator out there and put them on the air. We get points, extra points for that. Cool. So there's actually a, it's a competition. It's like a contest. So that's important. So by all means, look for it. Um, 
There, there's an organization for ham radio operators called the American Radio Relay League. That really is the uh, organization for the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, Canadians have one as well. I forgot, uh, Radio Amateur Canada. Some, but I, I gave you both links for both of them. You'll always see information about the latest and greatest happenings that's going on out there. Sure. Important to know. So that, that, that's, it, it's good. It's an, important, it's an important event. It basically gets the guy that's always in his little, uh, what do we call it, the scooter. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to picture that right now. <laughs> we, we try to go. Well, that's funny because this year, every year, I should say, there's a bunch of ham radio conventions, and th- every year the big one is in Dayton, Ohio. <laughs> and I'm telling you, people live for this thing. And it, I've been there once. It's like I call it the mecca for ham radio operators. Cool. If you're going to go to one ham radio convention in your that's lifetime, it. this is the one. It's in, it's held in the central United States. I'm going to go there again this year. And some people transmit there for the entire event. And one of the things as you're sitting there and you're watching the event and listening to some of the things going on, you count the number of scooters that go by and you start counting them. <laughs> and it's just funny. It's just one of those things. We'll sit there. Oh, scooter. There's one. There's one. A lot of, a lot of people, you know, they got to get out of their chair and exercise as they're walking. Now I got to tell you the other survivalist thing that's important. Yeah. One of the things that I like about HF, my radio that I have literally is, I want to say that's about nine inches wide, three inches high, one maybe two inches high. It will literally fit in a backpack. I, I was wondering that. about that. What's that? I was wondering about that. Oh, this radio is very tiny. It's called the KX3 by uh, Ellacraft. I take that with a couple of portable antennas. And there's a society out there, and this is the part, one of the things I'm into, more than just operating out of my ham shack, is you go to mountain peaks. And you have to make four contacts from the top of a mountain peak. And it's called SOTA. Summits on the air. Okay. S-O-T-A. And there's a whole organization that's out there. If you get 8,000 points, you get an award. And there's this guy by name Steve with goat. He actually has these these goats that carry the equipment for him, and they follow him. He's the alpha male. Oh, cool. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's in Colorado. And he climbs up like uh, Pikes Peak and stuff like that. You're required that you have to hike at least 200 yards. My goal is to activate this radio from the top of Mount Whitney this summer. Oh, really? Yeah, it's an 11-mile hike, so it means i got to carry that, the batteries, and my antenna, and then operate and make four contacts from the top of Whitney. You get some good fitness training to boot. Exactly. So I'm trying to make it more of a healthy thing and more of a preparedness mindset because this way it makes you portable. Yeah. Again, survivalist mindset. You're having this podcast. That is, that's a, that's an, an, an awesome survivalist mode to be in, to have a, a, your portable ham. That's That's incredible. Portable HF. Portable HF, yeah. Portable HF is where I'm taking this. So, and it's not me. It was actually started in Europe. People, you know, obviously they got thousands and thousands of mountaintops in Europe. They started it. We've adopted it as well, and now it's worldwide. And you can see every day all the people that are trying to activate summit tops. There's people that are actually transmitters, and there's people that are just like, like I said, the scooter guys that sit there at home and they just try to capture as many as they possibly can from home. So you, they, you know, you need. Remember, communications is two-way. The guys that's transmitting from the mountaintop, probably freezing their butt off, need somehow to talk to someone because they have to make four contacts. Okay. And they will somehow, before they take off on their hike, they'll try to publish approximate what time they'll be on the air on what frequency. Remember, because we're not channelized. Right. And then, you know, they'll say, they'll say between this, this, and then if that doesn't work, they'll be on this band. And so your goal is to sit there and try to chase them. They're called chasers. We try to chase them down and try to capture their information and log it. Okay, so David, for uh, because we're starting to get low on time, okay. let's let's go to the next one real quick. CB communications, and then 
Uh, I think let's wrap up shortly after that. Well, we talked enough. CB about frequency, it. CB frequencies. Yeah, see, we talked about it. I we mean, talked we about that. Okay, the, 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 it's basically the ten meter band. Oh, that's uh, right. I gave you a link that shows you all the frequencies that are on CB. Let's go to the other one, the FRS and the GMRS. Okay, let's hit, let's hit that one because we didn't spend any time on that. That is the portable little radios that you could buy at Cole, not Coles, uh, Home Depot. Yeah, Lowe's, Home Depot. Lowe's, you can Home also, Depot. yeah. Great. Great little radios. They are normally up in the uh, VHF range, the very high frequency. Mm-hmm. And I, I gave you breakdown. It breaks down what frequencies are in which, you know, what's considered VHF stands yeah. for very high, and UHF stands for ultra high frequency. I, there's charts in there that explain it with all the links that I gave you. But those radios really are designed for the person that has no communications knowledge at all. It's mm-hmm. designed to be short distance portable radios. You know what? They do a great job. I'm not going to bash them at all because they were when they were designed, they were designed so that you can operate it. You don't need a license, but it gives you two-way communications, short distances, and can give you somewhat encryption, somewhat mm-hmm. encryption. So it's important. I mean, it's good to have locally in your backpack with your buddy. That way you're able to communicate locally if you're in a, you know, within you know, relatively a couple miles away. Okay. But, but when it's all said and done, what's my recommendation? After all this, when it's uh, I'm sorry. What's my recommendation after all this? What if you're going to do something with com? What's the number one thing I would say to get ham radio? Oh, ham, ham, and 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 spend money on the antenna. Right, and, and antenna, antenna, antenna. Yeah. But here's the other reason for ham radio too, which I didn't say. All the emergency services that are out there, when they do their practicing and they pass out information, it's always on the ham bands. So if you're trying to get information from the government and all their com is down. And you're trying to find out what's going on. Yeah. You're not going to hear it on the CB stuff. They always use the ham radio bands. Okay. So if you're trying to, you know, listen to the intel of, you know, what 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 got affected and you know who's down and what's not working, and you learn, you get into this hobby, you'll quickly learn about your local emergency response ham radio group, and you learn know what frequency they're on. You quickly during a disaster turn, all of a sudden you'll find out what's going on. You'll know before the news department knows. Okay. And there you go. There we go. There's there's your terms without actually really getting in all the radio stuff for the most part. I just went over terms and technology. Cool, cool. That's this is wow. I tell you what, you know, even though you simplified it, this is still a lot of stuff to it's to process. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, but and now there is one more thing because I put it at the very end. Okay. No matter what radio you buy, I don't care whether it's a CB or whatever RTFM. I know, I know, I know exactly what that you means too. You know what too. it means. Yeah. I tell, I tell every one of my students, because it's funny, after I get done they take the test, I said, did you get on the air yet? No. Why? So my first class after they pass their test is I have a test on how to program their radio. Yeah. And then as we're going through it, and we're going through the book, which is something I ask them to do, it's go, read the freaking manual. Yep. Yeah. The F is something else. But you got to read that manual. And I tell people the best way to learn your radio, put the, you know, because I know you're not just going to sit there and start using the book. Put it next to the toilet and go through five pages at a time when you're on the toilet. That's my that's my <laughs> mythology right there. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, you got me. And it's the same thing with your firearm. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same thing. So yeah, understand how your all your important equipment that you're relying on works. 
just as important. You got me. You got me chuckled up there a little bit, David. <laughs> I appreciate that, uh, especially when you got to RTFM. Gosh, you know what? I mean, I've been in the in the electronics business, not not radios, but I've been in the, in the electronics business for a long time. And I don't know how many times I've told people RTFM, but you know, some of us like to take the lazy way out. Yep. <laughs> David, th- great. This was excellent. You know. Um, you you answered a lot of questions I had, probably a lot of questions that listeners had. Um, take two minutes just to kind of summarize, and then we'll wrap it up. Yeah, I mean, really, if anybody's interested in becoming a ham radio operator, you anyone could. Eat, I don't mind. I give out my email address freely. I'm more than willing to help out. Thanks. We'll hook you up. We'll hook people up with uh, you know an instructor in your area. Email me at captainmallon at aa6rv.com and do it. Let's do it phonetically. Um, Charlie Alpha Papa Tango, Mike Alpha Lima India November at Alpha Alpha Six Romeo Victor dot com. Okay, and that's um, Captain Malin. Yeah, except Captain Alpha, uh, Captain Foley. Okay. Yeah, Captain Malin at aa six rv dot com. Captain Malin six rv dot com. That's my website. It's my livelihood. It's my. Well, they can find you on aa six rv dot com. If you look, if I was trying to hide from someone. There's no way once you become a ham radio operator. I've got it's You're not gonna I just hide. recently got one of my police captains and I told him, Hey, make sure you put down a PO box. If you work we're in a, you know, law enforcement sensitive stuff and you don't want anybody to know it because once you become a ham radio operator, your name and address are out there. Just realize that. So if if, if you think you're gonna be able to, to keep your information suppressed from people wanting to know it's not going to happen. Forget it. No. In fact, I'm looking at your website right now. For those of you that want to get a hold of David easily, just go to aa6rv.com. I like that. I like your website there. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And let's see. There's got to be a link on there where they can email you directly, isn't there? I don't know. Did I put – I mean, I see my – it's, it's on there somewhere. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't updated I think the last thing I did was I thanked the people that I was with in Balad. I was in Iraq for a period of time doing patient movement. Yeah, I, something like that. Where's – is? Is there an email address? That's fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can see Latest Happenings. You'll see my email address. Yeah, there it is right there on Latest Happenings. Yeah. Yeah, okay. right there. Okay. Good. Um, David, thanks again. This was, uh, this was terrific. I appreciate you coming on the show. No problem. I appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you. Oh, you'll be, you'll be on the forum. You're already on the forum. That's I'm right. I'm on the forum. Yeah. yeah. So I'll start a thread about this just like I do with every show, and people that might want to you know, hit you with direct questions can do so on the forum, too. Oh, by all means. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. All right. Take care. Thanks. Yep. David, thank you very much for your time. Folks, I hope you enjoyed that. And if you got some questions, he's on the forum. I'll start a thread. By the way, all those links he talked about, they're all going to be in the show notes. Go to todayssurvival.com. Remember, there's two S's in that address, www.todayssurvival.com. Look at the show notes. I also put everything on the forum. So if you're a member of our forum, you'll see it there. If you join our forum, do me a favor. Send me an email at bob at todayssurvival.com and tell me that you joined the forum. This is how I keep spammers out. Folks, please consider supporting my show. Uh, I don't have advertisers on this show. I don't have sponsors on purpose. I keep this commercial free so that you can learn from it and not have to listen to a bunch of sponsors about stuff you might not need. But look, if you can support the show, there is time that goes into this. There's effort and there are bills to pay. 
Please consider buying one of my Survival Champions Club podcasts or both. I set up the Survival Champions Club with some exclusive interviews. John Newser, who came on to talk about uh, ballistic effect and stuff like that, and also the uh, the guy who's an EMT and also a, a wilderness first responder. He talks about how to train for self-defense. That's one of them. And, of course, Glenn Tate, the author of the book series 299 Days, Part two of his awesome interview on building a prepper team, you can also get both of them for 40 bucks, $25 each or both of them for $40. Just go to today's survival show and click the survival champions club page and you'll see some instructions. I will email you results, not results. I'll email you links, excuse me, on how to download the survival champions club podcast. It'll help support the show. And if you can find it in your heart to do that, I'd very much appreciate that. With that said, that's another episode of today's survival show, episode 203. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Bob Main. Guess what? It's my goal to help you do what you can with what you have, wherever you are. Talk to you next week. Goodbye.